from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Helping make a homemade Christmas. I'm Charles Denny. Talented artisans and crafty people bring holiday cheer to the people here in Wilson County, Tennessee. And wait till you see some of the things they make by hand. That story coming up on Ag Day. Is the nation's beef herd finally starting to bounce back? A look at the latest signs. And more calls to reopen two key rail crossings at the southern border. We're urging uh, the administration to, to deal with as quickly as possible. The latest is that groups say things are reaching a critical stage. Right now on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. More ag groups are asking U.S. Customs and Border Protection to reopen railroad crossings for trade with Mexico as soon as possible. As we first told you earlier this week, the crossings in El Paso and Eagle Point were shut down due to a surge in migrants moving by train. Agnes Michelle Rook continues to follow this developing story. And Michelle, ag groups say the closings have the potential to be a major disruption to trade between the two countries. Right, a coalition of nearly 50 ag groups, Clinton, are turning up the heat on the administration on this issue because they say every day that the border is closed to commerce, it costs U.S. farmers millions of dollars. Plus, it could hurt our long-term trading relationship with Mexico. Mexico is the top customer for many U.S. ag products. USDA reports 64% or 15.6 million metric tons of grain and oil seed exports move to Mexico via rail annually. And nearly a third of all grain goes through the Eagle Pass and El Paso corridors. Mexico is our number one or number two market for virtually every type of grain. Um, for corn, by far and away the largest market, um, you know, for soybeans, number two, only behind China, you know, it's it's the number one market for wheat. For wheat alone, it's estimated more than 13 million bushels worth $114 million per year move through these two Mexican crossings and nearly 70% of total U.S. wheat exports move via rail to Mexico. It's somewhere between about three and a half and four million tons a year. Number one customer uh, bushels, that's just shy of 150 million bushels. To, to, to put in perspective, it's our number one market, export market for hard red winter wheat. It's our number one market for soft red winter wheat. And last year was the number two market for hard red spring wheat. The group say time is running out as Mexican livestock and poultry producers could run out of feed as early as this weekend, and then we'll shift to other international suppliers. We're urging uh, the administration to, to deal with as quickly as possible. It's one thing to have a humanitarian problem that we do on, on the border, but now this falls over into, into commerce. CBP is an agency within the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, which, of course, is Department of Homeland Security is under underneath uh, President Biden. So uh, we are going to all levels. You know, we're talking to CBP. In 2022, nearly $4.2 billion of U.S. soybeans and products were also exported to Mexico, with the vast majority going by rail. So this will hurt basis levels and prices for all U.S. grain and oilseed producers. I'm Michelle Brook reporting for Ag Day. All right, thanks, Michelle. Some quick facts about the situation and rail trade with Mexico. Now, since Monday, it's reported railroads have had to hold over 100 train sets. That's the equivalent to more than 100,000 rail cars and 10 million tons of commodities and goods. Roughly two-thirds of all U.S. ag exports to Mexico move via rail. 
U.S. goods and services trade with Mexico totaled an estimated $855.1 billion in 2022. Now, the two crossings that are closed, Eagle Pass and El Paso, accounted for a total of $33.95 billion in rail traffic to and from Mexico in the last year. Now, Mexico is the top export destination for Kansas wheat. Nearly 70% of wheat exported is moved by rail to Mexican flour mills. Heavy rainfall in California now spreading into parts of the Southwest. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht has more. Matt. Yeah, in fact, uh, we got the heavy rainfall on the West Coast. And you can see that California, Los Angeles, something we've been talking about the last couple of days. Uh, but then out ahead of that, another piece of energy is going to kick up some showers uh, in and across parts of the Midwest and back down here to the south. Of the two systems, uh, notice that the white lines don't dig as far south uh, Friday and into Saturday with this first one, meaning there's not a lot of energy in the atmosphere for lift or heavy downpours, uh, even thunderstorms or severe weather. Back here, though, now, this is going to be matched up uh, with uh, more potential for some heavier rain as it works from the west to the east and in the higher terrain, uh, higher elevations, some snowfall. So again, this is Saturday at 11 a.m. Uh, between our Friday and Christmas Eve. You got one system trying to move out with some light rain with that next one starting to move in. And as I mentioned, uh, as these lines dig down to the south, uh, that's going to match up at the surface with a little bit better lift in the atmosphere, bringing uh, more rainfall to a widespread area going into our Christmas Eve and our Christmas Day. So again, this is going to be moving uh, up towards the northeast. Once you get on the other side of it, uh, cooler air will be on the way. So again, there's Sunday at 7 p.m. Go ahead, take a look at your screen here. Look at this. Cotton candy skies in Iowa. This photo looks like something out of this world. Ryan sending this one in, uh, capturing the scene at the end of harvest. Love all those beautiful pinks and purples in the clouds. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. The race to win over Iowa voters is heating up with more Republican presidential candidates crisscrossing the state. Now, the Iowa caucuses are now less than four weeks away. Currently in polling in the state, former President Donald Trump is in the lead with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley in a fight for second place. AgriTalk recently inviting all of the presidential candidates to take part in a question and answer session with host Chip Flory. Now, on Thursday, Governor DeSantis answered some questions, including what issues he would address regarding farmers and ranchers if he were president. We're going to get the federal bureaucracy off the back of the agriculture industry, particularly our family farmers and ranchers. EPA is not going to be able to go on your property because you have a puddle and say it's waters of the United States. Uh, we're going to rein in the EPA. We're going to rein in the USDA. Uh, farmers know how to take care of their land better than government bureaucrats. Uh, we're also going to reverse Biden's electric vehicle mandates so that we can support liquid fuels. We're going to do year-round E15 and also allow for higher blends to be sold as, as people uh, want to do it. And I think that there's a market for it. DeSantis also said he would fight back against laws such as California's Proposition 12, along with eliminating the death tax for family farms and increasing access to markets around the world for U.S. farm products. Soybean oil is experiencing significant growth as a feedstock for renewable diesel production. Now that's according to ag economists from the University of Illinois. 
They report soybean oil's share of the feedstock market has tripled in recent years, now reaching more than 27%, while other feedstock sources have remained stagnant or decreased. The Economist saying soybean oil has been the most prominent winner in the renewable diesel boom among individual feedstocks. In just two years, its market share has surged by 18.2%. Yellow grease, which includes used cooking oil, remains the leading feedstock with more than 29% of the market. USDA estimating 47% of U.S. soybean oil production will be used in biofuels for the 12 months starting on October 1st. Now, it's estimated about 55% of U.S. biodiesel is produced from soybean oil. Despite the rise in bird flu cases, the U.S. is detecting fewer cases of the virus in wild birds. A top official telling Reuters risks remain high though, and they are urging farmers to maintain stringent safety and cleaning protocols to protect poultry flocks. So far, USDA has reported about 2,600 cases in wild birds so far this year. That's compared to the nearly 6,000 cases last year. Now, since 2022, about 77 million U.S. chickens, turkeys, and other birds have been culled because of the disease. That includes more than 13 million just in the last month. Thursday brought a mixed bag for soybeans and livestock markets. We'll discuss that next coming up in Markets Now. And later, a crafty message in Tennessee as volunteers help to make the holidays bright in the country. And Jacqueline Weir of LaSalle, Michigan is a last winner of our Case IH Holiday Prize Pack. Congrats to Jacqueline, and we'll get that off in the mail to you. Now make sure you tune in this weekend to U.S. Farm Report. That's when we'll reveal the winner of the grand prize, a Farm All Seed Pedal Tractor. So this is it, your last chance to register over at KSIHHolidayGiveaway.com. in the year, the Rural Main Street Index continues to slump. The latest survey of rural bankers from Creighton University now reading 41.7. That's up slightly from November's reading of 40.4, but still below growth neutral for a fourth straight month. The person behind the survey, Ernie Goss, says that higher interest rates and a credit squeeze are having a significant and negative impact on rural Main Street businesses, with more than 13% of bank CEOs reporting their local economy was already in a recession, while 43% expect a recession early next year. Corn and wheat in the green on Thursday, while soybeans face pressure. Michelle Rook is back with a look ahead to Friday's trading action in Markets Now. Green markets were mixed on Thursday. Jeff Hogendorn, professional ag marketing, joining us. And, you know, a little bit higher bias in both the corn market and part of the wheat market. Was that just corrective buying, do you think, here, especially since we scored contract lows on Wednesday in corn? Yeah, for sure. You know, we, we've the, the path of least resistance has been lower, um, especially on the corn market. You know, we, one of the things we keep looking at, Michelle, is, you know, the forward carry and the forward curve in these markets, right, where the next month is always, you know, a good 15, sometimes 20 cents higher than the nearby type of thing. And, you know, what March had to do is it, it probably had to come down a bit um, just because it, as December rolled off the board and March was the front month, it, it definitely got up some under some pressure here and had to come down into basically these contract lows. But like you mentioned, we did that, right? So I, yeah. I think we've maybe done enough there the way it looks to me. It'll be an interesting uh, couple weeks here or days um, around the holidays always makes it kind of tough when you're playing around right at the bottom of kind of in some key numbers like we are here right at the moment yeah and especially we're going to be watching that mexican rail issue if they can get that resolved right yep 
no, I think that would help too. That's definitely got everybody a bit uh, on the jittery side, right? And corn and wheat trying to stay higher despite the fact that soybeans were lower. That was encouraging, but soybeans really improved weather. The market is really focused in on that in Brazil, aren't they? It's okay. We're not out of the woods, I don't think, down there. But as a general rule, we do have to remember they get a lot more rain down that way than what we do, um, sitting right next to the rainforest, in fact, right? So their natural tendency is going to be to fill in some of these voids with some moisture. That's what we're doing for now. It's not all healed up and over with. Uh, I think we'll see some more excitement from the weather market down that way. And as a backdrop, you know, we still have some pretty tight projected ending stocks in the, here in the U.S. You know, January slipped below $13, March still above it, but you don't think that we're going to take 13 out, or if we do, we won't go down much farther? You might take 13 out, but, you know, your your, your low is sitting down there at that 1282 against the March, and I think that's going to be pretty solid. I, I don't think we have to go down and test that. Jeff Hogan with Professional Ag Marketing Randy's coming up. So I'll start off looking at the precipitation estimate. Now remember that we got two systems that we're tracking. The first one on Friday, so this is Friday at 7 a.m., is going to bring some light rain in and across the United States coming up on Friday, and then more potent system coming in Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So this is going to be uh, the next 24 hours through Friday and into Saturday. There's that light rain, a few pockets of some heavier rain, and then in behind it comes a little bit more substantial rainfall. Now the moisture transport with this is going to be from the Gulf of Mexico, at least that moisture source. So that next system is going to try to bring heavy rain up here to the north, but obviously the farther you get away from the source region, the less likely you'll see uh, heavy downpours. So you get back up into Canada, though, uh, though that's where we start talking more about snow. But uh, overall, the pattern we've been mentioning the last couple of days, warmer than average conditions. This is going to be more of a rain event for Christmas Eve and into Christmas Day for portions of the United States than a snow event. Now, could you imagine if temperatures were a lot colder? Now, as for the jet stream coming up for your Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so again, a, a very soft or a, you know, kind of a shallow trough trying to dig through Friday into Saturday. Uh, a more substantial trough digs down to the south, working out of the mountains Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, uh, which is going to, again, spread that rain across a much larger area. The other part of this, so we've talked about this before as well, uh, you got uh, kind of the teeter-totter effect that the deeper this trough gets, uh, the higher this ridge will build, excelling and pushing a lot more warmth back up into the Midwest, into Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, and also into Pennsylvania and Ohio. Again, there's a jet stream on Sunday. As you go into Monday and Tuesday, uh, that cutoff low uh, kind of splits, but also merges back within the jet stream Tuesday and into Wednesday. This is looking more like a classic low pressure system working across the United States. You got the ridge out here to the east, the trough working across the Midwest, and then another ridge building back out to the west. So you're going to see warm temperatures or warmer temperatures back in the forecast as we go into the new year, uh, possibly breaking and shifting this entire pattern around in the new year. But it's going to take an entire year until 2024 before uh, things start to cool back down. So again, there's that jet stream coming up on Thursday. A precipitation outlook, once the system moves out, the 26th through the 30th, dry air starts to work back in. 
Let's start off with Stanley, Idaho. We got some evening showers, a high around 39 degrees, low of 15. Stanley, North Dakota, partly cloudy, high of 36, low of 28. Can you guess the last one? Sparta. That doesn't make sense. Mostly sunny, high of 61. For over a year, the beef herd has been contracting, but could things soon be changing? Later today, traders and producers will be looking for clues in the monthly feedlot report. Now, over the past year, cow-calf operators have been putting more animals in the feedlots than normal, with producers not holding back as many calves for breeding. USDA Chief Economist Seth Meyer says right now, cattle numbers are still shrinking, but are there signals things could be changing? If folks hold on to those calves, then we're kind of saying, hey, we'll, we'll make a turn and we'll, we'll hit the bottom and we'll start producing more beef at some point in the future. So far, there aren't any signals that said we've hit, we hit that point. The markets will also be watching for the release of the cattle inventory report, which comes out twice a year. It will be released on Wednesday, January 31st. And a Minnesota farmer has been sentenced to three years in prison after pleading guilty to wire fraud. Prosecutors had claimed 66-year-old James Clayton Wolf falsely labeled crops grown at his Cottonwood County farm as organic. In his guilty plea, prosecutors say Wolf admitted to buying conventionally farmed grains from a supplier and then reselling the grains labeled as organic. The scheme netted profits of more than $19 million, which they say Wolf used to purchase real estate vehicles and farm equipment and investments. As part of the plea agreement, Wolf will forfeit all of the proceeds. Now we've all heard it's the thought that counts. Up next, how some positive thoughts and careful actions are making a difference this Christmas. Some creative craft makers are using their talents to help others this holiday season. As Charles Denny of the University of Tennessee reports, the group is partnering with UT Extension for a special Santa's workshop. Turns out Santa has a satellite workshop at the Tennessee State Wilson County Fairgrounds. Here jolly hands turn out holiday cheer. These are members of a Wilson County Family and Community Education Club known for their service to their neighbors, their extreme cooking skills, and holiday craft making. The level of talent in this room would please old St. Nick. Yes, we have uh, all kind of paper crafts. Uh, we got soaps, scrubs, uh, we're doing a lot of angels. FCE members are pretty angelic themselves, donating their time to help others. Crafty and sensible too making many of these items from stuff just laying around the house. For instance, wine corks become ornaments. Everything is, you know, recycling what you have at your home that you can make things out of. So people will really be amazed at some of the crafts that we do here. Well, Christmas is sparkly and it has a lot of, there are so many things that you can make for Christmas where you can go with snowmen or you can go with elves or you can go with Christmas trees and angels. There's just so many things you can make craft-wise. Some crafts made by this group will be sold or donated to charity this holiday season. FCE leaders say that's their mission year-round, to help people and provide for the needy. Recent charitable efforts included making bags for the disabled. 
whatever kind of needs that they see, they're able to kind of tailor what they do best and figure out ways to kind of meet those needs and find solutions and make it fun while they do it as well. It's safe to say every FCE member here made Santa's nice list this past year. Combining caring with talent to improve your community. Crafty kindness. This is Charles Denny reporting. All right, thanks Charles, and we look forward to more of your reports in the new year. And we hope you'll join us Christmas morning for our annual Christmas in the Country broadcast as we ring in the holiday season. We'll head to a real Christmas tree farm, check out an amazing light display, and celebrate the return of a tasty roadside holiday classic. That's Monday on Ag Day. And that's all the time we have this morning. From all of us here at Ag Day, have a Merry Christmas and a great day on Farm Country.